passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. As you can see from the sermon title, uh, Kurt and I, we typically give each other a little bit of grief whenever we have a really long sermon title. And uh, I deserve a lot of grief for how long this one is. Um, excited to talk about this uh, passage and this text this morning, but I'm also going to uh, be really honest. I'm a little nervous because this can be a very volatile subject as we talk about the government and politics as Christians. Now, in Germany in the 1930s and 1940s, uh, the church really faced a crisis. And during this time, the church was really focusing and, and wrestling with the question of how they could live out their Christian faith in the midst of one of the worst regimes in history, a, a regime, the Nazi regime, which was extremely anti-Christian. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor during this time, and Bonhoeffer wrestled with and led the church through this question and eventually started a, a movement within the church called the Confessing Church of wrestling with how do we as Germans live faithfully in, in respect to our government, but also at the same time, how do we live faithfully, more importantly, to the gospel? In the 1940s uh, through today, uh, Chinese Christians have had to wrestle with similar questions. They've had to wrestle with how did they live out the call of the gospel in the midst of a communist country that it was uh, and still is to this day uh, very anti-religious. Even in the 1960s and 50s here in the United States, Martin Luther King Jr. and a number of other evangelical pastors wrestled through how do we live out our, our responsibilities to the government, but also identify and speak out against the injustices that we have faced, that we have seen and experienced in our lives. Throughout history, Christians have had to wrestle with this intersection between faith and politics. And as I mentioned earlier, not only is this a crucial thing that we have to wrestle with, but it's also extremely volatile. People uh, can get really worked up when it comes to politics because it's something that's really deep within each and every one of us. And I'm going to be honest with you guys this morning. Uh, I am extremely thankful that we are a church that preaches expository, uh, expository sermons that we go through a book verse by verse because if it was my preference, I probably would have skipped this passage. Probably would have gone past it because I, I don't want to cover uh, something that is extremely uh, difficult and, and uh, can get people really fired up. But I'm also extremely thankful that God has us going through this book. And this is the next passage. And it would have caused a big, bigger stir, honestly, if I would have skipped this passage to move on. So extremely thankful for the way we do things here at Crosswinds Church. Now, recent studies, just to back up what I've said about this being a volatile topic, recent studies have shown that uh, today in the United States, we are the most bipartisan we have ever been. Uh, people on the left side of things, uh, liberals are even more liberal today than they were 50 years ago, and conservatives, on the other hand, are even more conservative on the, uh, uh, on the spectrum. We've gone from just disagreeing with people with a different political persuasion to actually demonizing them and saying that they are the reason for all of the problems in our society, and if they would just disappear, then things would be better. It's in this context that I think that, that 1 Peter chapter 2, which we're going to be in this morning, has a lot to say to us this morning. You see, 
this is extremely relevant with elections coming up in just one, uh, just a little less than a month away. And I actually love election season. Now, it's not because I, do, I like the uh, political ads. I think that they are way overdone. But the reason I like election season is because for about a month, a month and a half before the elections, it doesn't matter who is in office, which party is in office, gas prices plummet. Uh, they, just, they just drop. I mean, we just crossed under. Uh, we're back in the $2 mark, so I'm pretty excited about that. I think that we should have elections more often if that's one of the ways that we can get some lower gas prices here in the United States. Now, I want to, to just tell you right off the bat this morning that some of the stuff I'm going to say is probably going to offend you. Some of the stuff that I am going to say probably doesn't line up with your political views, and that is Okay. In fact, that's a really good thing. We have to recognize as Christians that regardless of whether we are Republican or Democrat or wherever we find ourselves on the political spectrum, that the gospel should reign supreme in our lives. You see, the Republican Party does not reflect the gospel. The Democratic Party does not reflect the gospel. And the sooner we recognize that as Christians, the better off we are going to be. Now, both sides of the political spectrum recognize biblical truths that are good and helpful. For example, Republicans do an excellent job of pointing out biblical passages that that talk about the sanctity of life, that talk about the sanctity of marriage, and how we should live uh, moral lives in this world. And those are good things, but at the same time, they tend to neglect passages of Scripture that talk about uh, standing up for those who are helpless, especially the outsiders, and taking care of creation, being good stewards of the creation that God has given us. On the flip side, uh, Democrats seem to do the exact uh, opposite. They tend to recognize some biblical truths that Republicans miss and, and uh, t- tend to um, uplift those and, and neglect others. Now, these are broad generalizations, but it's helpful for us to recognize as we uh, try to commit to not demonizing one another, as we talk about government and politics as Christians, to recognize that neither political party has the gospel. Both Republicans and Democrats are in desperate need of the gospel. And wherever you find yourself this morning and whatever political persuasion you're at, that truth has to be with us. It has to reign in our lives. See, this morning we're not going to be talking a lot about political parties. In fact, I've just covered about all that I'm going to. We're not going to be talking about candidates and which ones uh, we should vote for and which ones we shouldn't vote for. What we're going to be talking about is how we interact with the government as Christians. See, Peter, he doesn't tell us a lot in this passage. In fact, the Bible doesn't really tell us a lot about how the government should act. Peter and the rest of the Bible tells us a lot about how we should act towards the government. The truth is, it really doesn't matter what the government is like. It doesn't matter who is in office. The truths remain about how we are supposed to respond to the government. Whatever political party is in office really doesn't matter to us. It's kind of irrelevant. Peter's passage here reflects and is true no matter what situation we find ourselves in. If you were with us last week, we continued our way through 1 Peter, and we began really a new section in 1 Peter. And this uh, passage uh, last week, as we were continuing in chapter 2, started kind of the, the next big chunk of, of 1 Peter. And in this big chunk, Peter begins to tell us what holiness is like. 
And he begins to tell us what it really looks like to live holy lives. And, and we saw that one of the ways that we are called to live holy lives is to get rid of the passions of the flesh. The way we put it down in Spencer was to put death to death. The things that are killing you, we have to get rid of those. And on the same, at the same time, we have to uh, focus on doing good deeds. We have to live good, holy lives reflected in the lives of those, or can be seen in the lives of those who are around us. And Peter calls us to live these lives no matter what. Called to live these lives even if we're suffering. Even if we're going through very difficult times. We are called to put death to death and and give life by doing good deeds. Peter does something similar this morning. He continues to tell us that we are called to live good lives no matter what the government is like. No matter what government we find ourselves under, we are called to live good lives. Even if we're suffering at the hands of the government, we are called to live good, holy lives. What Peter tells us is that we are called to submit to the government. We're going to see that in a little bit as we, as we open this passage up. But we are called to submit to the government whenever it's possible, especially when we don't want to. See, if there was one word, or one sentence, rather, that we could sum up today's passage by saying it is this, that our allegiance to God makes us respectful citizens. Our allegiance to God makes us respectful citizens. That's true when our guy is in office. It's especially true when our guy is not in office. And just a clarification here for you. When I say citizen, I'm not talking about official citizenship here in the United States or another country. I'm just talking about someone who lives here. This, is, uh, this applies to us wherever we live, that we are called to live out good lives. And our allegiance to God makes us a good citizen. It doesn't matter if we have the official paperwork, whether we're here on a green card, whether we're undocumented, it doesn't matter. We are called to be good citizens, respectful citizens, out of our allegiance to God. Peter really tells us that in three ways this morning. First, he talks about our calling as Christians and what we are supposed to do as Christians in relationship to government. And after that, he talks a little bit of how, uh, or the reason why, and how we go forward, and what do we do from there. And the third thing is this, it's kind of like an application. It's basically summing up what our relationship to the government should be like and what it looks like in our lives. And so that's going to be kind of our roadmap this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to First Peter chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 13 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, uh, that's all right. There should be one in your uh, pew, but also the passage should be printed in your uh, sermon notes. So uh, before we do that, though, let's just pause and ask for God's blessing to be with us. Please join me in prayer. Jesus, we are so thankful for your love for us and how you uh, reign and you rule, that you are victorious over sin and death. And God, I pray for your presence to be with us here this morning, that your spirit would come and speak through me and work in the hearts of each and every one of us here this morning. God, we ask that you would be glorified in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Uh, please follow along as I read aloud, starting in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise what is good. Peter starts this morning with a, uh, a little bit about our calling. 
And he says that our calling is this, that we are supposed to and we are called to submit to all authority for Jesus' sake. We submit to all authority for Jesus' sake. You see, we live in a very anti-authoritarian country and society. We don't like being told what to do. In fact, I think one of the bad parts about us being a democratic nation, and don't take that wrong, I love the fact that we're a democratic nation, but one of the, the downsides of that is everyone thinks that they are the one who should be in charge. And their opinion is the reason why everything should go the way it should. The government, uh, everyone in our society likes, is really the government found within each and every one of us. We don't like authority in the United States. And yet God calls us as Christians to live very different lives. He says that we are called to submit to all authority for Jesus' sake. Now, this refers to government. This refers to many other things. This refers to uh, the police who pull you over on the side of the road when you were speeding. Uh, This refers to your teachers if you're a student. This refers to your parents, to your bosses. It doesn't matter if you find them worthy of respect or not. God calls us to submit to them anyway. It's not because we submit to them because we like them. Uh, We don't submit to them because there's an inherent uh, uh, authority in their position or in their personality, even though that may be true. We submit to them for Jesus' sake. I want you to imagine for a moment that there is a corrupt politician. Uh, Maybe this isn't too hard for you to imagine. Uh, There's a corrupt politician who's in office, and they live a promiscuous lifestyle. Uh, They pass laws that are extremely detrimental to you, that hurt you financially. Uh, They are arrogant, they are proud, and they are rude. You are not going to want to submit to that person because of who they are. They're not a good person. You aren't going to want to submit to them because of their position. You certainly didn't vote to them. But we are called as Christians to submit anyway for Jesus' sake. And this is really an essential principle for us this morning as we talk about government and Christianity and how the two interact. And that is this, that our approach to politics is primarily, first and foremost, about God and us. It's first and foremost about God and us. God is pleased when we submit to authority. It's the way he designed things. He likes it when we do that. It's the way he structured society that we would submit to authority. He's given us this authority for our good. Now, before you object, which I'm sure some of you are wanting to right now, uh, Peter, uh, remember Peter's context. Peter is in prison right now as he's writing this letter. Peter has been placed in prison for no reason other than being a Christian. And yet in the midst of that, he tells us anyway to submit for Jesus' sake. You may be thinking, well, is Peter just crazy? Or is is Peter a coward that he's telling us this, that he doesn't want to stand up to the government? Of course, Peter isn't a coward. It's the reason he's in prison in the first place. He calls us to submit because that is what God wants us to do. Notice in verse 14 where he talks a little bit about the purpose of the government. This is the reason why God has instituted government. And one of the reasons why we should submit for Jesus' sake, it's to limit evil and to promote good. No matter how good a government is, no matter how bad a government is, Peter recognizes its worth. If you talk to people who have experienced civil war and anarchy in their countries, they will tell you no matter how bad the government is, it's better than anarchy. And Peter knows this. 
Peter knows that no matter how bad a government is, it is better than anarchy. God uses even the worst governments to limit evil and to promote good. Now, if you're like me, uh, and some of you probably are, uh, your mind immediately goes to the extreme examples and situations. You say, well, Jordan, there's got to be times where we can't submit, right? There's, there's got to be times where it's, it's wrong for us to submit to the government. After all, didn't Moses lead a rebellion in Egypt? Haven't there been times throughout church history where Christians rebelled against the government? Well, you're right. There are times where we cannot submit to the government. But we have to recognize that these times are much fewer than we would probably like to think. We can't rebel against the government because of tax laws or because of health care issues. We can't do it like that. We only rebel when it forsakes our, our approach to our relationship with God. Peter tells us this in Acts chapter 5. Uh, in Acts chapter 5, Peter is brought before the Jewish council and the Jewish council is basically saying, okay, Peter, apostles, you need to stop telling people about Jesus. And this is what Peter and the apostles say. They say, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. See, there are going to be times when what God wants for us and what God says contradicts what our government tells us, what humanity demands. And in those situations, we must obey God each and every time. This is what it really means to submit for the Lord's sake. We don't submit to the government indiscriminately. We only submit when it aligns with God's plan for the world. And we do so primarily out of an allegiance to God. Martin Luther King Jr. uh, sheds a lot of light on this topic one of his most famous essays is a, is a letter, call, it's called A Letter from the Birmingham Jail. And in this essay, uh, a lot of, of the local pastors were uh, really kind of accusing Martin Luther King Jr. of being uh, a bad person, being a, a smear on the face of Christianity because he was uh, having these protests and, and being thrown in prison. And, and King Jr., he writes this letter to them as a response, and he points out that there are just laws and unjust laws in our society. He points out that a just law is a law that aligns with God's heavenly law. It's perfect. It's a, it's a sign of common grace that God has given to us that uh, even in a secular world and society that these things align with the way God has orchestrated things. On the flip side, there are unjust laws, and these, things that are, these are things that go against the way God has structured it. And they actually are explicitly against the way God has orchestrated and ordained things. And it is our responsibility as Christians to live faithfully by going against these unjust laws. Now, we could talk a little bit about what that looks like in our society, but uh, we don't really have time for that this morning because that's not exactly what Peter is focusing on today. But I just want you to recognize that there are times for us to uh, disobey government. But the times are much fewer than we would think. I think Peter's context provides a very good example of that. So what is our calling as Christians? Well, our calling is to submit to all forms of human authority. We submit when we want to. We submit when we don't. Whatever the case, we do so because of a love and an honor for God above all things. We submit to human authority. Let's keep reading 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 15, to see the reason why we submit. 
For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Peter continues his, or, uh, his exhortation here by telling us that the will of God is for us to do good. Remember Peter's uh, context and the audience that he's writing to and the, what they're experiencing. Peter's audience was experiencing a lot of hardship, a lot of suffering and slander at the hands of those who they lived with. They were mocked and ridiculed because of their Christian faith, because they didn't follow the masses and the ways that they lived their lives. Roman, the Roman Empire was a pretty immoral place. Now, the Roman Empire had a lot of, of rules and laws set up to make it a moral place, but most people didn't follow them, except for the Christians. And they were slandered and looked down on because of that. At the same time, the Roman Empire had another rule and law that said every citizen, every person who lived in the Roman Empire was supposed to offer incense to the emperor. This wasn't a way of worshiping the emperor. Uh, actually, if you look at it, it's probably just a more intense form of the Pledge of Allegiance. And the Christians refused to do that. Everyone else would offer incense to the emperor except for the Christians. They would do what no one else did when they lived holy lives. And they refused to do what everyone else would do by offering up incense to the emperor. Because their primary allegiance was to do good for God's sake. See, in the midst of this slander, in the midst of all the hardship that they experienced, Peter tells them to continue doing good deeds. The best way for us to silence our critics today is to live good lives, is to live holy lives, to do good deeds. And we see this throughout church history. There is this Roman historian, his name was Tacitus, and uh, this guy, he talked a lot about the church and the Christians and was actually kind of annoyed with them because he would point out that the Christians did such a good job of caring for the sick and for the poor that they were putting the Romans to shame. The Christians, he points out, were doing a better job of living out Roman virtues than the Romans were. Through their good deeds, the Christians put their critics to shame. And Peter is telling us the exact same this morning, that we can put our critics to shame, that our good deeds can be used to silence these critics. You see, it's God's will for us to be good citizens. It's God's will for us to live good, respectful lives as citizens in the country that he has us in. God is not glorified by us when we uh, complain about the government. God is not glorified in us when we mope about the people who are in office. God is glorified in us when we live out holy lives in spite of the slander that we experience. I think Dan Cathy, he's the CEO of Chick-fil-A, is a really good example of this. A couple years ago, he came under a lot of fire uh, from the media for some comments that they said were, you know, bigoted against homosexuals. Now, Kathy is an extreme, uh, extremely devout Christian and lived out his faith in, in many different ways. And uh, he continued to live out a good life in spite of all of the slander that he was experiencing. And one of the ways that he did this is he invited an open homosexual uh, to attend a football game with him. And so this guy uh, agreed to come and they went to this football game. And even though Kathy didn't agree with this man's lifestyle, the man really enjoyed his time. 
In fact, it was Kathy's lifestyle that changed this man's opinion of Christians. God used Dan Kathy's good deeds, his good works in this society to put to silence some of his critics. Did it put to silence all of his critics? No. But it put some to silence through the good deeds that he had done. Last week, we talked a lot about good works. First Peter talks a lot about the calling that we have as Christians to live out good works. And Peter addresses that here too. He tells us why. Well, first we do them because we are free people. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer bound by the chains of sin because Jesus has set us free. Because we have been set free by God in Jesus, we live good, holy lives. We are God's servants now. I love the way Paul puts it in the book of Romans. He said that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are now slaves to righteousness. And because we are slaves to righteousness, we're slaves to the way that God has us live. We live good, holy lives in our world. See, it's God's will for us to do good works, period. It doesn't matter what political climate is like. It doesn't matter what the society is like. God calls us to live lives of holiness, of good works. We can't control the society. We can't control the way the society looks at us, but we can control the way we respond to it. And that's what Peter is telling us right here. We respond with good, holy lives. I think it's interesting the way Peter describes these people. It's kind of harsh, actually. He, he calls them foolish people. He says, silence the ignorance of foolish people. And what he's referring to is those who have not received the gospel in faith and repentance. And if you haven't received the gospel in faith and repentance, then you are foolish. Because God is calling us to him. And he's calling us to respond in faith. But God can use our good deeds in the lives of those who are around us. Let's continue uh, doing good works for God's glory. Let's continue living out holy lives because this is the will of God. Let's look at the last verse here, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, as we see what Peter has for us here. It says, Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. This verse serves a little bit of, uh, as a summary of everything that Peter has said so far. It kind of sums up everything that he's telling us. And he says, all right, I've talked about submitting to the government. And now what we're going to do is I'm going to say this is how it looks. This is what it looks like to submit to the government. And, and he gives us four commands here. And these four commands are, are really interesting. They're countercultural, countercultural, as we're going to see in a moment. And they're all pretty related because they deal with how we as Christians interact with others. What we're going to see is that they really raise the bar for how we interact with those who are around us. A lot of people think uh, that the Bible has specific passages that tell us how we should vote as Christians. They want to know what the Bible says about church and politics and, and all that, and they look for passages that say, well, you should vote along this party line. The Bible doesn't have any of that. But the Bible does give us principles to apply and that we are compelled as Christians to apply. 
And four of those principles are found right here in these four commands. So let's look at each of these commands individually. First one is this. As a citizen of God's kingdom, I honor everyone. As a citizen of God's kingdom, I honor everyone. S- Peter here, he starts off with how do we interact with every person on the face of the planet. He starts with a very large pool as he's talking about the ways that we relate to people. He says everyone that we come into contact with deserves honor and respect. doesn't matter who they're like or, or what they're like. And this would have been radically earth-shattering for the people that he was writing to. See, the Roman Empire was a place where favoritism was uh, extremely prevalent. You only did good things for those who could return the favor. And so to say that you should honor everyone, that you should do good to everyone, would have been extremely different than what the culture would tell the people that day. Notice the motivation that I mentioned here about why we honor everyone. I said it's because we are citizens of God's kingdom. The last couple of weeks, we've been looking at passages in 1 Peter that have talked a lot about our identity. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that Peter called us a chosen race. Or in other words, that we have been chosen by God and God has selected us from all of the people in the world to be his and to be his instrument for reaching humanity. God has chosen us as a part of our identity. Next thing he tells us is that we uh, are exiles and, and sojourners in this world. We looked at that last week. And when he says that, he's referring to the fact that we have been called out of this world by God. We no longer have primary citizenship here in the United States, but our primary citizenship is with God's heavenly kingdom. And from that place, from that place of our identity, that we are citizens of God's heavenly kingdom, we live lives that honor everyone around us. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter how much we like them or dislike them or get along with them or not. We honor them because of our identity. See, as, as God's servants, we engage the government. We engage the way things are done here. And we recognize that no matter who is in charge, no matter what government is in charge, it's not ultimate. The United States is not ultimate. Every government on the face of the planet, good or bad, is going to fail someday. And the book of Revelation tells us that that is actually a good thing. It's something that we should actually rejoice over. Because when all of the earthly governments pass away, that means God's kingdom is here. That our true citizenship as a part of God's kingdom will one day be fully realized. To be a part of that, every single government on the face of the earth has to pass away. And this is why Peter tells us to honor everyone. We show indiscriminate honor to every single person on the face of the planet. It's unheard of in Peter's day. But why? Why do we show this honor to everyone? Because every single person is created in God's image. Every one of us, every human who has ever existed from Adam and Eve until the very last humans have been created in God's image. That means we have this intrinsic worth to us. That for some reason, God has set us apart out of all of creation to carry his image, to bear it. And that's one of the reasons why we fight for the sanctity of life, because every life is valuable. At the same time, that's the reason why we defend the helpless and the outsider, because every life is valuable. 
every human has the image of God and is deserving of honor. Second command that Peter gives us talks about our relationship to Christians. And we see that as a citizen of God's kingdom, we love every single Christian. We honor everyone on the face of the planet because they carry the image of God. The second thing that we see is that for Christians, we show them greater love, greater self-sacrifice. Because they are our brothers and our sisters. Peter is kind of talking about concentric circles here. First we have a large circle that includes all of humanity. And then he focuses on a smaller subset group. And that is Christianity. And he says that we are called to honor everyone, yes, but Christians deserve special love because they are brothers and sisters. They are a part of our family. I love the way uh, Paul puts it in Galatians. Uh, he says this in Galatians chapter 6. He says, so then we, we have, or as we have an t- opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Our first responsibility as Christians is to love other Christians when it comes to the ways we interact with other people. Now, I want to apply this specifically to the topic of of politics. There are a number of evangelical Christians out there who are conservative. There are a number of evangelical Christians out there who are liberal. And I want you to ask yourself, Do you have greater love for those who share the same uh, Christian identity as you but may have different political beliefs? Or do you have greater love for those who have similar political beliefs as you do but have a different religious background? I think most of us, unfortunately, would probably say the second one, that we find ourselves uh, having more in common with and loving those of a same political persuasion but different religious beliefs. And Peter says that cannot happen. As Christians, we cannot uh, love and, and, and like Mitt Romney, who is not a Christian but is, is conservative, more than we would like someone like Jim Wallace, who is, is an evangelical Christian but he's an outspoken Democrat. God calls us to love our brothers and sisters, to do so self-sacrificially, to show love for the church. Third thing, the third command that he gives us uh, talks about our relationship with God, and, and it's this. As a citizen of God's kingdom, I recognize that God is the true king. Notice the command he gives here. He says that we are called to fear God. If you look in the New Testament... You're never commanded to fear anyone but God. In fact, I looked at all of the different uh, examples where the word fear is used in the New Testament this past week and saw that there are really two primary categories that these passages fit into. First one is God telling us not to fear, not to fear other people, not to fear what people can do to us or the government. And the second thing is we are called to fear God. Christians are called to fear God. This refers to our reverence, our respect, the way that we give him the highest honor possible. And what Peter is saying here is is pretty countercultural because the way things worked in the Roman Empire is that there was everyone, there was humanity, and you didn't honor everyone. The next thing was to show respect and a greater appreciation for your Roman citizens an elite group within all of humanity. And the next thing was you would show honor to the gods, and the highest honor, the, the, ref, the fear that you would show would be to the emperor, to Caesar. 
What Peter is doing is saying, well, you can honor everyone. You can love the Christians, but we're not even going to talk about a concentric circle because God is way out over here where we fear him, that we honor him, that we respect him as Christians. See, the Bible makes it clear that God is the one who's in charge. God is the one who is in charge of the ways that governments operate, that he is the one who plans and picks the people who are in charge. Just look at the Old Testament book of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a terrible person. He slaughtered uh, hundreds of thousands of people. He destroyed God's chosen uh, nation, being Israel. He destroyed God's temple where God himself dwelt among his people. And yet the Bible tells us that God considered Nebuchadnezzar his instrument. That God considered Nebuchadnezzar his tool. God chose Nebuchadnezzar to lead Babylon. That doesn't mean that, that Nebuchadnezzar was uh, above reproach or that he got a free pass with all the things that he did. No, we see, the Bible tells us very clearly that Nebuchadnezzar was going to be judged and is going to be judged for all of the things that he did. As we talk about the relationship between God and, and our governments here in the United States and, and across the world, we see that God is in charge, that God is the one who rules and reigns, and every single person in an authority position will one day be held accountable for their stewardship of that position. Nebuchadnezzar will be held accountable. Every single U.S. president will be held accountable. Every single, single senator and representative and every single governor and even down to the city council person, every single one of them will be held accountable for their actions because God is in charge and God is the one who rules and reigns. And this gives us hope. This gives us the motivation to submit to the government when we don't want to because we know that God is ultimately the one who is in charge. And the fourth command that Peter gives us refers to our elected officials. He closes by saying that as citizens of God's kingdom, we respect our elected officials. I love the way the ESV translates this. Some other, some other versions, they don't translate it in, uh, the way the ESV does, and you, you miss the, uh, the connection that Peter is making here. He says, first, to honor everyone. Then he says, love the brotherhood. Fear God. And when it's time to talk about the emperor, he says, honor the emperor. Honor Caesar, the highest person in the Roman government. Treat them the exact same way that you would treat anyone else. Show them the exact same honor that you would show to anyone else. Extremely subversive. This doesn't lower the bar for how we treat the government officials or that we treat Caesar. It actually raises the bar for how we treat everyone else. Everyone else is deserving of honor and respect, not because of the positions that they hold, but because they are created in God's image. As we talk about elected officials, uh, just one question for you um, that I really want you to wrestle with, and that is, how often do you show honor and respect to the elected officials of the United States by praying for them? How often do you show honor and respect to President Obama by praying for him? If you don't do that, then I think Peter would say you have no right to complain. In fact, that you are neglecting your Christian duty as a responsible citizen of the United States, but more importantly, as a citizen of God's kingdom. 
to respect and honor your elected officials first and foremost by praying for them. It doesn't matter if you like the president or not. As Christians, we are called to take our citizenship of heaven seriously. And one of the ways that we do that is by showing honor and respect for our elected officials and by praying for them. Asking that God would work in their hearts. If they aren't Christians, that God would bring them to faith. That God would govern this country through them. We honor our elected officials through praying for them. Throughout each verse here, Peter is talking about the way Christians interact with government. But more importantly than that, Peter is talking about how our interactions with government are influenced by our interactions with God. It's far more important for us to focus on our interaction and our relationship with God than it is to focus on a political party and a political candidate. Because our relationship with God influences everything that we do politically. Everything we do when it comes to government is influenced and must be centered on our relationship with him. Our allegiance to God makes us respectful citizens. God comes first when it comes to politics. We cannot neglect our relationship with God when it comes to the government. That means we have to take the sanctity of life very seriously. That means we have to take the sanctity of marriage very seriously. That also means that we have to protect those who cannot protect themselves. Because our allegiance to God compels us to be respectful citizens here in the United States. That doesn't mean that you have to be a Democrat or a Republican. It means that you have to have your relationship with God govern everything you do politically. Our allegiance to God makes us respectful citizens. You see what Peter is doing here? He's saying that the best citizens in the Roman Empire should be the Christians. He's telling us the exact same thing this morning. The best citizens in the United States should be the Christians. The best citizens in the UAE should be the Christians. That doesn't mean that we agree with everything that the government does. That doesn't mean that we don't speak out against the government. But it is our Christian duty as citizens of God's kingdom to put our relationship with him first and from that place have it influence everything we do in our interaction with government and politics I mentioned uh, at the very beginning about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a wonderful, godly Christian man. And, and throughout ni- the 1920s and the 1930s, Bonhoeffer was passionately German. There's nothing wrong with being passionately uh, a part of your nation. He was passionately German, but he was passionately Christian more. And that eventually led to him giving his life for the sake of the gospel as he tried to wrestle through this relationship between uh, what do I do as a Christian and how do I live in a government that is anti-Christian. Today, we don't live in Nazi Germany. We don't live in a Muslim country. We don't live in Peter's context. But we are living in an increasingly neo-pagan society, a place that is increasingly getting rid of the concept of God. And Peter tells us to submit anyway. Submit to the government, but not because the government 
has any intrinsic worth in itself, but for Jesus's sake. And as we submit to the government, we show honor to every single person on the face of the planet. We love our fellow Christians. We fear God and place him at the highest place in our lives. And from that point, it influences everything that we do when it comes to politics in our lives. And so with the election season upon us, that is my challenge this morning. To be a good, dutiful citizen of the kingdom of God by praying for your elected officials for Jesus' sake. By submitting to the elected officials for Jesus' sake. And letting your relationship with God influence everything you do politically. Let's pray. God, we rejoice that you are the king. That you are the one who is in charge. The one who rules and reigns. And that even still you desire to have a relationship with us. God, what an utmost privilege that is. And God, as you transform our lives, as you make us citizens of your new creation, God, I pray from that place that we would live good, holy lives, that you would give us the strength to submit to the government for your sake, even when it's hard. And God, that we would take our responsibility as Christians seriously to honor everyone, to love our fellow brothers and sisters, to fear you supremely, and to pray for our elected officials. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the body of Christians that is able to gather together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.